So you have an idea for a new story. Maybe it's for a book, a short story, a novella, a novelette. Well, how do you get from idea to book, to something that you're actually going to write? That process is called development. And to me, it's very important because I'm a pantser. I don't like to outline, but I need to get my development done or the story will suffer for it. And so let's talk about how to develop a story on today's episode of Project Shadow. Hello, everybody. How are you doing today? My name is Charlie. You might know me better as sci-fi fantasy romance writer, C.E. Dorset. And on today's episode, we're going to talk about story development. Yay! And this is not going to be a how-to, though it's going to be a how-to. I'll explain that in a minute. But before we get into it, if you haven't already, please take a moment to rate this podcast in whatever app you're listening to me on. It really does help out a lot. It tells the algorithms to share the podcast with more people. The more people that listen, the bigger the community, the bigger the community, the better the chance we have of actually communicating with each other, especially if you're listening in Apple Podcasts. Thank you for everybody who's already done that. It really does mean the world to me. I I love the the conversations we get to have on various social media platforms. Thank you so much. All right. So let's start at the beginning. I am a pantser, which means I don't outline. I used to outline. I used to outline religiously. And I found that it made it extremely difficult for me to actually tell the story. It's not necessarily that it took the joy out of it, but it made it really difficult. And I actually have quite a few books outlined that I'll probably never write because I just lost interest in them once I had them outlined. And maybe that was a good thing. Maybe they were stories that didn't deserve to be written. But I do still kind of outline. I do what's called slapdash outlining, which means I know where my story is heading and I try to keep a couple scenes ahead in in my mind as far as where I'm going. But I don't write like in this scene, this is happening in this scene, this is happening all ahead of time, all the way throughout the book. So for me, it is extremely important for my process to have gone through proper story development. And there are a lot of methods for this. And I'm going to mention some of my favorites because some of these, you know, and one I haven't actually read and that's Save the Cat writes a novel. I haven't read it yet. I own it but I haven't taken the time to read it yet. It's on my list of things that I want to do when I have time to do it. But I've actually read all of the other Save the Cat books. Save the Cat, Save the Cat Goes to the Movies, and um, Save the Cat Strikes Again, I believe. Um, the original Blake Snyder books. And I love them. And I, I do use that method a lot, especially his genre method, which I believe he explains in Save the Cat Goes to the Movies, where he breaks down the basic genres into their three basic components. And basically at the end of the process, you'll have a slug line. 
for your movie, a basic, bare-bones description of what your story is at its heart. And I find that very helpful and very useful and use that for most of my story writing. Sometimes when I just get into a story, I will, I, I try to have an idea of how long I want to, the book to be in the initial writing phase. And I will actually apply the Save the Cat beats to the scenes that they're supposed to happen on to keep me on point. I've done that. I enjoy that. That works for me. John Truby's Anatomy of a Story, his premise system, which we're going to talk about a little bit in, in a little bit, is brilliant. It's wonderful. And I'm currently using it for the newer work. And I think it's giving me a much clearer idea going forward. I've talked about him before on the show, but I don't hear a lot of people talking about his work. And it's either John Bonnet or John Bonnet. I don't know. B-O-N-N-E-T. Um, never heard it pronounced out loud, so I don't know how it's pronounced. But his book, Stealing Fire from the Gods, is a great method to try to recreate oral storytelling for your own work. To give your story a sense of history of having been told and retold so that it feels like it has weight to it. And I, I, I do like his methodology a lot, and I've used it quite a bit. And last, but not least, and they're not a sponsor, though they could be, and that's a, um, idea, what do they call it? idea, Story Planner. Story Planner is an app that I have both for my phone and for my laptop that syncs very well with each other. In my own development process, I use a combination of these. I've actually created a blank Scrivener file that I import for each project that I'm constantly editing. That is kind of the revised version of, well, this worked for me. This didn't work for me. Oh, I heard about this new technique. Let me try that. Oh, that worked for me. That goes into the workbook. It's basically that. It's cons I've been, over the decades, constructing the workbook that I am going to use when I'm going through development. So ideas are a dime a dozen. There are hundreds of them. I know I can sit back and just come up with way too many. For one of the sci-fi projects I'm working on, the idea was much more of a setting and the types of characters I wanted to have, and it didn't have a story to it. And that was the problem, is I could come up with an infinite number of stories. But which one is the right one? First, for me, I like using... Blake Snyder's Save the Cat Goes to the Movies and his genres. Because I'll generally have an idea of if this were a movie or a book, what genre would it be in? Where do I want it to go? Because his genres are different. They're not our genres. They're not horror or sci-fi or romance or fantasy. They're dude with a problem, out of institutionalized, full triumphant. Um, um, monster in the house, um, buddy love. They, and they actually can go back and forth between various genres, categories. But they kind of encapsulate the kernel, the heart of, a, of each of the types of stories that they are. And that might be a better way of looking at them. They're more or less the story archetypes that 
I've actually played around with this a lot, and I can fit every story that I've tried into one of his genres, one of his story archetypes. And so for me, it's a good place to start because I either have a genre that I want to write in, one of his genres. It's a dude with a problem. It's an institutionalized story. It's a fill in the blank, right? Or I have a generic idea that could be taken a lot of ways. So for example, for the other sci-fi project that I'm working on, I had a very generic idea that I could take several different ways. So I actually sat down and plugged the idea into several different genres that Blake Snyder, as, as Blake Snyder defined them, and then looked at them and went, oh, I kind of like that one, and I kind of like that one. What if I kind of merged those two stories and made that the book? And that's very helpful, because the way he breaks it down into the types of characters, situations, and elements really does help you get that high-level view of the story that you want to have going into it. Because if you don't have that good bird's-eye view, it's going to be hard to wrangle yourself in through the rest of the process. Because so many possibilities for side characters and side quests, and it's really easy to let yourself meander if you're not careful, especially as a pantser. It's really easy to let yourself meander. So by starting with this and having this very simple idea that kind of encapsulates everything that you're wanting to do, the next step for me is plugging it through the premise system that John Truby came up with. And if you want me to do an episode specifically on that, I will. But for right now, suffice it to say, it's a series of questions where you're needling that idea that premise. You're needling it and pulling out threads. You're pulling out, well, what, what, what's the character's moral weakness? What, what's the character's goal? What do they really want? What's it going to be hard to get an audience to buy into that I'm going to really have to pay attention to here? You're just kind of poking and prodding that initial idea, trying to come up with all of the elements that are going to make your story unique and different and special. Because let's face it, every story's been told before, but the executions can differ. And that's what makes this, these stories fun. We could all sit down with the same story idea, and because of the different ways we would execute it, they would end up being completely different stories. As a part of this needling of the original idea, some of the things that you're going to start to discover is characters or professions or settings that you're going to require for your story. They may be artifacts. I don't like MacGuffins, and I think I have a really big problem with the idea of a MacGuffin, because a MacGuffin, according to Alfred Hitchcock, who coined the term's definition, is an object that the characters care about that the audience doesn't. And in a good story, you shouldn't have a MacGuffin. The object, if you do have an object or an artifact that the characters do care about, it should be emblematic in some way, shape, or form 
or important to the actual story. It needs to have either a thematic or an actual plot reason for existing, and shouldn't just be a MacGuffin. The the Maltese Falcon being the most famous MacGuffin in the world, it's just a thing that the characters care about that moves us through the story, but it's not actually important to the story itself. Whereas something like the Time Stone in the Doctor Strange movie, many people would call it a MacGuffin, but one, it is symptomatic, and it is a big part of the theme where Dr. Strange, Dr. Stephen Strange, is so obsessed over how he uses his time. The beginning of the movie sets that up, his experiences throughout the movie solidify that, and it's very important to the end. So it has a thematic purpose for existing in the story, and it has a plot reason at the end. The whole story of Avengers Endgame, I'm sorry, no, no, I don't want to go that far. Avengers Assemble, the first Avengers movie, is about who is really in control, who who really is in power. How do you really bring people together? And so the idea of having the Space Stone and the Mind Stone in this story, they are thematically resonant with the tale itself, in that we see Loki using the Mind Stone to literally control the minds of people, and we see, you know, Nick Fury using lies and trickery to control the minds of people, because the whole theme of the story is that there are unseen hands controlling everything, and of course that's the big reveal in the final credits, and kind of what the Avengers are all about is starting to learn to see those unseen hands. It's what motivates Tony Stark through the entire movie, and so they are thematically important, and they serve a purpose in the plot itself. And I I don't like it when they're called MacGuffins, because if they were a MacGuffin, they would just be an object. They do have thematic resonance, they do have a purpose for being in the story, and they are integral to the actual plot of the story. Okay, and I, I, I don't want to just keep going through movies right now. I'm just hoping you're getting what I'm saying here. Any artifact that you bring into into a story should not be a MacGuffin. It shouldn't be, uh, what were they called? Those singing stones from Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, because they're they're really a framing device. They are a true MacGuffin. The audience doesn't care about them. They're the thing that Indy cares about, and thus motivate the entire plot. They're what moves the characters forward. They do not have any thematic resonance in the story, and really, they don't play a part in the actual plot of the story, other than they're the thing that the characters want. They're the things that bring the characters into conflict, and that's a MacGuffin. And I would highly recommend you not just do that. But as you're discovering these items, these places, which should also have thematic resonance, they should also work within the story in a way that makes sense. That they're there for a plot purpose or for a thematic reason. And the same thing with all the other characters that we meet. 
as we're teasing those out of our basic premise, this is what development is all for, is starting to see those webs, starting to see those interconnections between the various elements of the story and the story itself. How do the characters play in? How do the minor characters play in? How do the settings play in? How do the items play in? If I'm putting magic in the setting, how does that magic resonate? How does it matter? Why is it here? And this is the big difference that you can see between the Harry Potter films and the crimes of Grindelwald, where the magic is just something that's kind of there. It doesn't work symbolically. It doesn't work thematically. It doesn't work even for the plot. It's just a thing that happens to be there because it's a fantasy story. And yeah, we're, we're going to have it here. So this is what development is for. If you're going to have a starship in your story, why, why? If it's just there to get people from point A to point B, that, that might be okay. But you now know that you don't really want to spend too much time there because it doesn't matter. It's not their home away from home. It's not their opportunity for a new life. It's not their hope for a better life. You see, all of those elements are thematically rich. They have a purpose for being there. And you notice I keep going back to theme. What is the story really about? That will inform most of why your characters are there, why your settings are there, and why the various artifacts and items are there. And once you're, you've come to terms with that, once you've realized it and you've developed that to the best of your ability, then it's time to start writing, but not before. You see, it's very easy to start writing and not have any of that and come back and read the story and find that it's missing something. There's something that you just isn't quite right with it. And this is why we do development. Now, I'm somebody who likes to do my development first, and then I do a draft, and then I do a developmental edit afterwards. My first edit on the story, once it's written, is another developmental edit, because through the course of writing, Sometimes new characters present themselves. Sometimes new settings present themselves. Sometimes artifacts change. Because I'm a pantser and I don't rigidly hold myself to the outline, to the idea as it was originally conceived. Because sometimes, in course of events, a better idea will come up. So at that point, it's time for another developmental pass. Because anything new that got added in Anything new that wasn't there in the original development of the setting needs to feel at home there. It needs to have, make sure it has a place and a purpose and a function. And also, this is a good time when you're going through making sure that you got everything else right, <laughs> that the purpose and theme and reason for all of your elements to be there is communicated well through the story that you're telling. So development doesn't just happen once. It will often happen twice. It happens before, at least for me in my method, before writing and then immediately after writing. The, there will be a developmental phase prior to going into edits and, division, and revision because everything, the story has to work first 
we can pretty up the language and figure out everything else after we figured out where and why everything is there. And that is how you develop a story, at least how I develop a story. I hope you enjoyed that. If you did, and you haven't already, please do take a moment to rate this podcast in whatever app you're listening to me on. It does help out a lot. If you have any questions, comments, or topics you'd like to hear discussed on the show, down in the show notes, you'll find a link to the voice message system. Keep it short, keep it clean so I can use it on the show. I would love to hear from you. You can also hit me up on social media. I'm C.E. Dorset on both Twitter and Instagram. And you can find links to everything that I do over at projectshadow.com. If you've got a dollar you can pass my way, down in the show notes, you'll also find a link to both listener support and the voice message system. Thank you so much to everybody who does that. It really does mean the world to me. It helps me pay for everything and keep this going and keep me going. Thank you so much. If you don't have any money right now or you don't feel like giving, don't worry about it. But if you know somebody that you think would like this podcast or any of the work that I do, do share it with them. That helps out immensely as well. If, uh, oh, that's it. (laughs) Yeah, I've got a lot of stories to work on. I have a lot of work to do. I hope you really did enjoy this episode. And until next time, don't forget to have the fun. Bye.